crunchy grass when you're walking the dog this morning. So. All right, well, let me uh, open our time uh, together with a word of prayer. Let's pray. <clears throat> Gracious God, we do thank you uh, for the, the changing of the seasons that we experience. Um, it reminds us of you and your promises, um, how uh, you uh, are the master and Lord of time and direct all things uh, as they should be. And uh, just as there is a season of planting, there's also a season of harvest. And just as there's a season of bounty and things growing, there's a, a season when the, the earth lies fallow, and it's all as you've made it. Lord, we do pray that you would um, have a season of blessing in our hearts, that you would uh, plow up uh, the fallow, um, deadness uh, within us uh, and plant uh, the seed of your gospel and your good news uh, that the Holy Spirit uh, would grow us in grace and knowledge uh, through your word. We ask that uh, this morning as we study the words of the prophet Jeremiah together, um, may we uh, be convicted of the idols uh, that we make, all the things uh, that uh, we worship in our daily lives that are not God, all the things that we place uh, before in front of you and um, place our commitment to those things of made by human hands rather than trusting in you, our sovereign God. Lord, so convict of us of our sin, help us to, to repent uh, and help us to trust in you and in uh, your word to us. Help us to not just be hearers of it, uh, but doers of it as well. Uh, teach us, we pray, by the same spirit uh, that spoke through the prophet Jeremiah. May that spirit uh, speak to us and teach us this morning as we uh, speak of these words with one another. And we ask all this in the matchless name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. So if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to uh, Jeremiah chapter 44. And as you're um, finding chapter 44, let me just remind you, uh, where we are uh, in the book. So for the last several weeks, uh, we've been studying um, Jeremiah's narration of uh, post-fall events, uh, what happens to the people remaining in Judah after the fall of Jerusalem. And we saw uh, several chapters ago in the months following the destruction of Jerusalem, the Judean official Gedaliah uh, inaugurated a quiet return to normalcy and the blessing of an abundantly rich yield from the vineyards, olive groves, and orchards. But while Judah's physical circumstances were improving, we saw that their hearts uh, were not. Uh, the murder of Gedaliah and many others at Mizpah caused the remaining survivors in Judah to fear reprisals from the Babylonians. So in that fear, they decided to flee to Egypt for refuge. Um, but first, they decided to inquire of God through the prophet Jeremiah. So last week in chapter 42, we saw how out of the blue, the army officers, along with all the survivors from the land of Judah, approached the prophet with this apparent um, humble uh, attitude, professed earnestness, requesting that he petition uh, Yahweh, his God, um, as we noted the pronouns, for directions as to where they should go and what they should do. And we also saw how they pledged that regardless of whether the directions from, from Yahweh were favorable or not, they would do everything uh, that Jeremiah's God would told them to do. So after 10 days, Jeremiah received the word of the Lord, which began with God's offer of blessing if they choose to remain in the land. The remnant should not be afraid for God would be with them. But just as Yahweh promised Jeremiah in his call chapter, uh, they would experience God's help in building and planting. They would no longer experience the tearing down or uprooting. Uh, Yahweh promised to save them and rescue them from Nebuchadnezzar's power. Jeremiah's, uh, the word from the Lord to Jeremiah also came with curses. So there were blessings if they stayed in the land, However, if they persisted in going to Egypt, they would again occur God's curses and wrath and quote, all the men who set their faces to go to Egypt to live there shall die by the sword, by famine, by pestilence. 
They shall have no remnant or survivor from the disaster that I will bring upon them. Despite uh, this warning and such broad and wonderful promises from God, these refugees uh, impudently and arrogantly and contrary to everything they had just pronounced uh, in chapter 42, um, they said to Jeremiah, you're telling a lie. The Lord our God did not send you to say, do not go to Egypt to live there. Despite their request that God give them directions in this desperate moment, they had virtually decided in advance that they would go to Egypt despite what God or God's prophet said. These people were just plain bent on doing what their hearts desired and their hearts desired uh, to go to Egypt. So they went their own way. They went to Egypt and they dragged Jeremiah and Baruch with them. Uh, and we saw the chapter 43 ended at Tapanes, uh, which is just in kind of over the border in northeastern um, Egypt. And at Tapanes, uh, Jeremiah did what um, in, in the book is his final symbolic action, um, bearing stones um, to show that Nebuchadnezzar would follow them. So they weren't really getting away from Nebuchadnezzar, but that he himself would trod through Toponies and that he would take his seat uh, on this um, throne there that was signified uh, the ruler of Egypt, uh, that he would come and he would uh, rule over Egypt as well. So today, we'll see that the people who went to Egypt um, weren't just uh, arrogant, intent on doing their own ways, they were also committed idolaters, as we'll learn. And Jeremiah, uh, we, we get what is his last prophecy in the book. There are other prophecies, um, but this is the last prophecy addressed toward Judah um, in Egypt. Um, like chapter 45, it's a prophecy to Baruch, but it came earlier in time. Uh, we'll get lots of prophecies against the nations. It's not specific when those prophecies were given, but this is his last message uh, to the people of God in the land of Egypt. And we'll see how it both um, uh, addresses their current situation in Egypt, but also it, it provides a summary of much of what Jeremiah has said to them and warned them about in terms of idolatry throughout the entire book. So it's both addressing a specific moment, but it all, this um, word of the Lord that he receives and presents here also, I think, captures a lot of the message of the book as a whole. So, uh, with that as a uh, probably too long introduction, <laughs> uh, let me uh, read for us the Word of God. So, this is Jeremiah chapter 44. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the Judeans who lived in the land of Egypt, at Migdal, at Toponies, at Memphis, and in the land of Pathros. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, you have seen all the disaster that I brought upon Jerusalem, and upon all the cities of Judah. Behold, this day they are a desolation, and no one dwells in them because of the evil that they committed, provoking me to anger in that they went to make offerings and serve other gods that they knew not, neither they nor you nor your fathers. Yet I persistently sent to you all my servants the prophets, saying, Oh, do not do this abomination that I hate. But they did not listen or incline their ear to turn from their evil and make no offerings to other gods. Therefore my wrath and my anger were poured out and kindled in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, and they became a waste and a desolation as at this day. And now, thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, why do you commit this great evil against yourselves to cut off from your from you, man and woman, infant and child, from the midst of Judah, leaving you no remnant? Why do you provoke me to anger with the works of your hands, making offerings to other gods in the land of Egypt where you have come to live, so that you may be cut off and become a curse and a taunt among all the nations of the earth? Have you forgotten the evil of your fathers, the evil of the kings of Judah, the evil of their wives, and your, your own evil? and the evil of your wives which they committed in the land of Judah in the streets of Jerusalem. They have not humbled themselves even to this day, nor have they feared nor walked in my law and my statutes, 
that I set before you and before your fathers. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will set my face against you for harm to cut off all Judah. I will take the remnant of Judah who have set their faces to come to the land of Egypt to live, and they shall all be consumed. In the land of Egypt they shall fall by the sword and by famine. They shall be consumed from the least to the greatest. They shall die by the sword and by famine, and they shall become an oath, a horror, a curse, and a taunt. I will punish those who dwell in the land of Egypt as I have punished Jerusalem with the sword, with famine, and with pestilence, so that none of the remnant of Judah who have come to live in the land of Egypt shall escape or survive or return to the land of Judah to which they desire to return to dwell there, for they shall not return except some fugitives. Then all the men who knew that their wives had made offerings to other gods and all the women who stood by a great assembly and all the people who lived in Pathros in the land of Egypt answered Jeremiah, As for the word that you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord, we will not listen to you. But we will do everything that we have vowed, making offerings to the Queen of Heaven and pour out drink offerings to her as we did both we and our fathers, our kings and our officials in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. For then we had plenty of food and prospered and saw no disaster. But since we left off making offerings to the queen of heaven and pouring out drink offerings to her, we have lacked everything and have been consumed by the sword and by famine. And the women said, when we made offerings to the queen of heaven and poured out drink offerings to her, was it without our husband's approval that we made cakes for her bearing her image and poured out our drink offerings to her? Then Jeremiah said to all the people, men and women, all the people who had given him this answer, As for the offerings that you offered in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, you and your fathers, your kings and your officials, and the people of the land did not remember, and the people of the land did not the Lord remember them? Did it not come into his mind? The Lord could no longer bear your evil deeds and abominations that you committed. Therefore, your land has become a desolation and a waste and a curse without inhabitant as it is this day. It is because you made offerings and because you sinned against the Lord and did not obey the voice of the Lord or walk in his law and in his statutes and in his testimonies that this disaster has happened to you as at this day. Jeremiah said to all the people and all the women, Hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah who are in the land of Egypt. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, You and your wives have declared with your mouths and have fulfilled it with your hands, saying, We will surely perform our vows that we have made to make offerings to the Queen of Heaven and to pour out drink offerings to her. Then confirm, then confirm your vows and perform your vows. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah who dwell in the land of Egypt. Behold, I have sworn by my great name, says the Lord, that my name shall no more be invoked by the mouth of any man of Judah in all the land of Egypt, saying, As the Lord God lives. Behold, I am watching over them for disaster and not for good. All the men of Judah who are in the land of Egypt shall be consumed by the sword and by famine until there is an end of them. And those who escape the sword shall return from the land of Egypt to the land of Judah, few in number. And all the remnant of Judah who came to the land of Egypt to live shall know whose word will stand, mine or theirs. This shall be the sign to you, declares the Lord, that I will punish you in this place in order that you may know that my words will surely stand against you for harm. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will give Pharaoh Hophra, king of Egypt, into the hand of his enemies, and into the hand of those who seek his life, as I gave Zedekiah, king of Judah, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, who was his enemy and sought his life. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it as we speak of it together this morning. So, what, what is the uh, occasion? What, what causes this word of the Lord that comes to Jeremiah in Egypt?
Yeah, so he's forcefully removed, and notice how they've spread out. So last chapter we saw them at uh, uh, Tapaneta, and, and now they're, all these cities they name are, are kind of like starting in the delta and going south down the river, uh, so that um, Pathros that's mentioned at the end or is, is the, it's in lower, or upper Egypt. Lower Egypt is the, it's, it's weird. The lower Egypt is north, <laughs> upper Egypt is south. Uh, same thing in the Shenandoah Valley. If you're going up the valley, you're going south. Um, but so they've spread out um, to these and established different communities uh, along the Nile River. Um, so presumably some time has passed and Jeremiah is still stuck in Egypt with these, these people. Yeah, and there's a lot of hearkening back to, to the past. So as we think, okay, he, they're in Egypt, and, and we see them in these cities in Egypt, and they're doing the same things that earlier in the book we saw them doing in Judah. Like if you flip back to, to chapter 7, um, oops, flip back too far, um, So back in chapter 7, you had the same, um, the same uh, warnings against them making offerings. Um, you know, as for you, this is verse 16, do not pray for this people or lift up a cry or prayer for them and do not intercede with me for I will not hear you. Do you not see what they are doing in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood, the fathers kindle fire, and the women knead dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven, and they pour out drink offerings to other gods to provoke me to anger. Is it I whom they provoke, declares the Lord? Is it not themselves to their own shame? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, my anger and my wrath will be poured out on this place upon man and beast, upon trees of the field and the fruit of the ground. It will be burned and not quenched. So Jeremiah had warned back when they were still in Judah and in Jerusalem, if you persist in these idolatrous ways and in performing these rites, and he singled out uh, in that passage the queen of heaven making cakes for her, uh, involving the whole family, husbands, children, wives, uh, it's, it's all involved in family worship of this queen of heaven. And as, we, as this um, message from the Lord starts in 44, he starts with that. He starts with their history in Jerusalem that because of all the evil they committed provoking me to anger and that they went to make offerings and serve other gods that they knew not, neither they nor you nor their fathers, um, but they did not listen or incline their ear to turn from the evil and make no offerings to other gods. Therefore, my wrath and my anger were poured out and, and kindled in the cities of Ju Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem and they became a waste and a desolation as at this day. So uh, to Dave's point, like this is what they had been doing back in Jerusalem. Judah, we saw Jeremiah condemning it and warning them, if you persist in this, God's wrath will be poured out upon you. They persisted. God's wrath was poured out upon them. They didn't listen to prophets like Jeremiah. Um, they rejected, uh, you know, like, God, it, and as we see this, God is very long-suffering um, here. He's very persistent in pursuing his people. He's reminding them of that. It's, like, it's not like they sinned and boom, the hammer came down. They sinned and he warned them, stop. They sinned again, he warned them, stop. Um, he, he gave them repeated chances for uh, repentance and they refused to listen to the prophets. They refused to, to listen to Jeremiah and the wrath of God was poured out upon them. Um, and now they're in e Egypt, and they're doing the exact same things. Um, uh, seems to be the, the message, you know, you're like, here you are, why do you provoke me to anger with the works of your hands, making offerings to other gods in the land of Egypt where you have come to live? 
so that you may be cut off and become a curse and a taunt among all the nations of the earth. So, like, we, we have this track record uh, established. You do these things, the wrath of God, the, the curses of the covenant, and there's a lot of covenant language um, in this chapter, the curses of that covenant made between God and his people will come to pass. Just as they came to pass on, in Judah and on the, the, the city of Jerusalem, so they'll come to pass in Egypt. Yeah, we'll get to the religious faith. Um, let's, let's get with the first message. And, and then we'll come and see the people's response and, and this debate between the people and Jeremiah. But, but let's first like unpack, like what else strikes you about this word of the Lord that comes to Jeremiah in the land of Egypt? Um, and again, I think that in itself, like just because uh, it's, it's one of those, these subtle ways that God is reminding them. He, he's not just the God of the land of Judah, but he's the sovereign God of the universe, and uh, where they go, he goes with them, and, and he's watching them. He's, he sees them. He, he knows what they're doing. Uh, just because they're not in Judah doesn't mean um, that, that he's not watching them. Yeah, it's this retrograde movement. Absolutely, like, um, and, and we saw that uh, last week in, in chapter 42. He, he tells them, <laughs> don't go to Egypt. Like, they come ask. Like, they've already decided to go to Egypt. <laughs> but they ask, should we go to Egypt? God says, no. <laughs> you stay in this land, I will bless you. Uh, you know, I will, I will plant you. Uh, you won't be uh, torn down this time. I, I will pour out my blessings upon you. Uh, I won't bring the disaster that I brought upon you through Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, you stay, you know, you will receive all those covenant promises that I gave you from the beginning. And as you say, they, <laughs> they choose to regress. <laughs> uh, go back to Egypt. Go back to their old ways. Um, and it's, I think it's both what Egypt symbolizes at this, this moment, you know, like the place that God's delivered them, but it, it, it's also, you know, a clear rejection of God's direct instructions to them in this moment. So it's both like the history <laughs> and all that Egypt from history uh, entails. But also in this moment, he's told them not to go. Don't do it. And they, like, they say, you lie. Uh, our God did not tell, tell you to tell us not to go to Egypt. And we're going to go to Egypt anyway. Um, so, yeah, I, just that physical movement, I think, shows how backwards they're moving. And, and what God's pointing out is the irony. Like, if there's any people on earth who should believe in the word of God, it's these people, because they've just seen it come to pass. Jeremiah's been telling them for 40 years, you keep this up, God's going to destroy Jerusalem and send people into captivity in Babylon. What happened? God destroyed Jerusalem. <laughs> People got sent off in the captivity in Babylon. And they were the ones left behind, seeing it all. They and their fathers knew all that, all that Jeremiah had said had come to pass. And still, they're persisting and, and going against um, what God has instructed them and going backwards rather than using this as an opportunity to uh, repent and return to the Lord. Yeah, they think they can like uh, they think they can get away from Nebuchadnezzar, uh, and in chapter forty-three, you know Jeremiah's symbolic actions like no, these stones right here, Nebuchadnezzar is going to walk across this spot, <laughs> um, and as this like the sign that they're given at the end of this chapter, the sign is like you know how do you know the word 
God's words are true and yours are false, that the king of Egypt, that you're putting so much uh, trust in Hophra to protect you, his enemies are going to kill him. Um, so, so absolutely, yeah, they, they keep thinking Egypt provides some sort of refuge. And, and Jeremiah's message to him is like, you can't escape the sword. You can't escape pestilence. Uh, you think by doing this, you're, you're going to have uh, unending prosperity. You won't. Um, you're going to still die of the sword and by pestilence and famine. Um, your lives will still be required of you. you. Egypt is no refuge. Yeah, it's the stubbornness, persistence of, of them, like, seeing, knowing, and, like, yeah, if ever there was a people who have seen God's power, and it, it goes back to what we've been saying about Egypt, they saw Egypt destroyed, um, and, and what God did to bring them out of that, and, like, literally, while Moses is still on the mountain, <laughs> on that mountaintop experience, uh, they're, they're like, ah, let's go back. Let's fashion a, a God after ourselves, for ourselves, like, to, to lead us around. Like, uh, they just received the Ten Commandments, and, like, the next day, it's like they're hammering out the, the golden calf. Um, and, and it is the pattern. Um, and, and, and we need something um, to, to break the pattern. And God's been trying to break the pattern by sending his prophets. Um, and we'll see the ultimate way, way he breaks the pattern is by sending the, the prophet, uh, not just sending someone to bear the word of God, to, for the word to become flesh um, and to work in our stubborn hearts to, to, to bend us away from this sinful predilection. Um, like I, uh, Augustine um, used this word, uh, curvitas, to describe our hearts. Um, and, and what he meant was we're kind of bent. <laughs> like, our, we still have our human wills, but they've been bent towards sin um, by the fall. And so, and, and so rather than functioning the way God intended us to function, we, we're functioning as sinful people. Um, the illustration I use of this, uh, it's a bakery illustration. I haven't used one of those in a while. So I, I worked in this mass production bakery for the, those of you who, who haven't heard one of my stories before in college. And um, I was always fascinated by the machinery. Um, and white bread uh, didn't come out like loaves of dough. It came out in a stream and got cut. Um, and it was timed with the pan underneath it. So, you know, pans on conveyor belt, dough coming down in a stream being cut. And there was this little wire that the pan would hit to indicate I'm under the stream, cut it. Well, one time the wire got bent <laughs> forward a little. So instead of dropping it in the pan, it dropped it perfectly in between each pan, <laughs> which meant in about 30 seconds, <laughs> a minute, not long, because, you know, uh, I, I was putting pans on over here and you know, right around Nick was, was where the guy was taking the pans and, and um, making sure, that, so the pans then got loaded onto a rack and went into the, um, the proofing room where the bread would rise. So, like, you know, what is that, 10 yards? And the machine's between us. So we're both right there. I'm, I'm looking that way to make sure the pans, and, and he's looking this way to make sure the pans are coming off. So, like, both of us were alert and doing our jobs, but that conveyor belt was like a huge sticky mass of dough within inside of 60 seconds. And that's how I think, like I always think of that, like 
The, the machine's functioning properly, but one thing bent the wrong way <laughs> uh, creates an enormous mess, and, and that's our hearts and, and sin. Like, uh, we're, our wills, we, we have our wills, but instead of functioning the way they should, they're, they're bent towards sin. So even with all the right information, um, uh, you know, they've seen all the things that God's done, they've heard all these words of the prophets, it's not a, um, a lack of, of knowledge. Uh, and, and, and that's when, when Jesus says, even if, you know, I, I performed a sign, you still wouldn't listen. <laughs> like, you know, they've made up their minds. Um, and, and they're stubbornly resisting the word of God. And that's what they did in Judah. And, and, and this word is coming to Jeremiah now because he sees... Um, uh, the same thing happening here in Egypt. All right, so he, we, we get this, this stern uh, warning uh, of coming destruction if they persist in these ways. Um, yeah, what, what's the people's response? How do they respond to this word of the Lord? Yeah, Greg. No, no, you're, you're, so, so first with your first kind of question, like I, I think the emphasis is um, like the men are complicit in the action. Like it's not like, oh, we're unaware of what our wives were doing that, no, they had knowledge, encur encouraged their wives to do these things. They're complicit in it. So it's sort of like Adam and Eve, like, we attribute that sin to Adam. Why not Eve? She ate first. And like, no, because he went in with full knowledge and complicity in the action and approval. So it's not Eve's action independent of Adam, but it's their, their joint action. And I think the same thing here in this worship of the queen of heaven is that um, just as he saw uh, described it back in chapter 7, that passage I read a little while ago, the children are going out picking up sticks. <laughs> like the whole family is involved in this family household worship of the Queen of Heaven, um, which is probably uh, 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 Ishtar in the Persian pantheon uh, is is the Queen of Heaven, uh, Ashtardi in a Canaanite um, perspective. So Ishtar, Ashtar, you can see the the linkage between them, but that's probably the goddess that they're worshiping. Um, so, so I think the first thing is to emphasize that you, know, you could look at it and say, well, it's the women who are you know, leading this worship of this uh, um, uh, heavenly mother uh, you know, in the home. So it's primarily like a, a female-led worship of a female deity, but you know, the message is to everybody because everybody, all the Judeans living in Egypt are complicit. So I think that's why that language, they, they know. The, the men know their wives are doing this and they're not doing anything to stop it. In fact, they're saying, no, uh, our, our wives have made these vows, so we're going to help them fulfill their vows that they've made. Like, 
um, we're invested in this as well. Then the second thing to your point is they're responding with a different account of, of history. Um, their view of what's happened to the, to the, um, to the people in the land of Judah is, is, is the opposite. They're saying, no, it wasn't that we were doing these things. It's because we stopped doing them. So what they're probably referring to is, if you remember, um, it, early in Jeremiah's life, uh, King Josiah finds the book of the law in the temple, uh, or the book of the temple, book of the law is found in the temple and brought to Josiah, um, and he enacts this series of reforms to undo the long years of idolatrous practices that happened under King Manasseh. So it's as if they're looking back to the days of King Manasseh uh, longingly when they worshipped um, uh, the, the Queen of Heaven uh, openly and you know they had uh, uh, external um, prosperity. Um, like, like if you go back in Kings, we don't see Manasseh, a lot of warfare happening. They're, you know, they're not, Judah's not invaded during his reign. So they're like, things were great back under King Manasseh, and they're attributing the blessings that they received in the Promised Land, not to God, but to this Queen of Heaven. And so they're looking back, and they're saying, back then, under King Manasseh, things were going great. We were worshiping the Queen of Heaven. The Queen of Heaven blessed us. And then Josiah made us stop. Uh, and, and people like you, Jeremiah, came around and said, we couldn't do these things anymore. And, and then everything went haywire. So they've got a completely opposite reading of history than that history that God's just prevented. God's just prevented a story. You did evil things. You broke the covenant that I made with you that said, if you worship other gods, these curses will fall upon you. They worshiped other gods. Those curses fell upon them. That's God's view of history. Their view of history is, forget about the covenant we made with God. That was irrelevant. Uh, we were blessed because we worshiped the queen of heaven, um, these Yahweh worshipers made us stop worshiping the Queen of Heaven, and, and therefore, uh, you know, we fell into the calamitous calamities of war and the destruction of Jerusalem and ended up in Egypt. And as they're settling in Egypt, they want to resume worshiping the Queen of Heaven there in the land of Egypt. Um, and they, so they have a, like the response, <laughs> uh, as for the word that you've spoken to us in the name of the Lord, in the name of Yahweh, we will not listen to you. So like, th like that shows like from the get-go <laughs> in their response that they don't want to hear anything. Uh, like they're acknowledging Jeremiah has spoken words. They're acknowledging those words probably came from the Lord. They don't care. They don't, they don't want to, to listen their intent, just as we saw um, uh, last week. They were intent on going to Egypt regardless of what um, Jeremiah uh, told them, uh, that God told him. Uh, here, they're intent on worshiping the Queen of Heaven regardless of what God uh, tells Jeremiah to tell them. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a good question because there is this weird blend of, of uh, so I, I, to, to answer your first question, I think it's not where they are, but who the, they're worshiping. So again, worship of Ashtardi or, or Ishtar is, is a female-directed cult. So like you think of worship of gods. Some gods are masculine deities. Some gods are female de deities. This is a female god who represents um, fertility, both in terms of 
reproductive fertility, but a fertile earth, you know, so that's why they're attributing the blessings um, uh, that, um, you know, earthly blessings. So it is a, that is a female-directed cult. So in that, um, and where the, where the blending comes in, like, uh, technically, women weren't allowed to make vows um, in, in, in Jewish law. So the Torah says, you know, it, it, a vow has to be taken by the male head of the household. Um, that's the legally binding vow. So it's their combining with these vows. The men are taking the legally <laughs> binding vow that their wives are invoking in the worship of this pagan deity. So I think there is this, so like they're using the law, again, and twisting it to, well, you know, the law says we have to perform the vows that we've made. <laughs> and, <laughs> well, no, you don't perform the vows you made to a false goddess. <laughs> but there is, so there is this really interesting, like the, well, they're doing it with the semblance of Torah law likeness and like the emphasis on it's the men who are the legally responsible ones to make sure these vows are performed. And it's the women who are engaged in the cult of worshiping this female deity. Um, but they're, they're all violating uh, God's laws. And, and the, you know, notice this phrase used at the end of verse 23. Um, it is because you made offerings and because you sinned against the Lord and did not obey the voice of the Lord or walk in his law and in his statutes and in his testimonies that this disaster has happened to you as at this day. That's, that's covenant language. Like you go to Deuteronomy and that's the phrase, the statutes, the laws, the testimonies. Um, so this is covenant language that Jeremiah is invoking against them. Um, and he's... Uh, to go back to what Dave said earlier, this debate. They're looking at the past events, and you have one side, Jeremiah representing God, saying it happened because you broke the covenant and the curses of the covenant fell upon you. And they're saying, no, it's because we stopped worshiping the queen of heaven, and she turned her back on us. And so now we have to restart worshiping the queen of heaven in order to receive the blessings that she gives. So they're seeing the disaster. They're both interpreting the disaster that fell Jerusalem, but they're attributing it to different causes. God's attributing it to their sin uh, in breaking the covenant with him, and they're attributing it to their failure to faithfully worship the queen of heaven. Um, and so, you know, that, that's the, the debate that we see. They have a totally different reading of history. Yeah, what you're saying, um, it, I, it reminded me, um, there's a line from um, J. Motier, or actually Derek Kindner's uh, commentary on Jeremiah. Um, uh, on a more doctrinal plane, the secularist will blame Christianity, not the lack of it, for many of society's ills, ascribing our frustrations and tensions to the biblical restraints and moral absolutes, seeking freedom, as did Jeremiah's critics, not in God, but from God. 
So I think that's exactly what you're saying, Ronnie. Like, you know, we're surrounded by people who are, you know, put a different interpretation on things. They maintain their spiritual blinders so they don't see the world in the way that God wants them to see it. Uh, and they're, they flipped it, like what we call evil. Uh, and the word evil shows up 14 times <laughs> in this, this text. Like, God is very clear what he, he sees, what they're doing as evil. Evil, 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 evil. And they're seeing it as good, 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 good. So it's a, they have a complete, adopted a completely different worldview that blinds them to the truth of events as, as God has just um, performed them and has explained them. <laughs> so it's not just like, you know, it's, it's not just um, something happened, but something happened and, and God commented on it. So we had, you know, like, like sometimes things happen and we're left kind of wondering like why that happened, what's God up to, we don't, we don't know because we don't have the prophet t telling us. We have God's word that gives us principles that we can interpret things through. But, but here they've got a clear word from God. This is what happened. This is why it happened. And if you keep doing this, it's going to happen to you <laughs> again. Um, the same destruction that you saw fall on Jerusalem back when you were in Judah, you're going to see fall on you here in Egypt. Like you pursue... Uh, you're pursuing the same path, but they can't see it because they've adopted uh, a, a worldview that, that turns this history, this interpretation of history upside down. Um, and like, I, I think Kidner is absolutely right. Um, a friend of mine um, uh, whose, whose daughter is a freshman, um, I can't remember where, it might be Alabama, uh, she's in the Honors College at, I think it's Alabama. It's at one of the big public universities in the South. She was in her freshman philosophy class. Uh, uh, again, Honors philosophy class. Uh, and the professor asked are, the question, are people born inherently good or are they born inherently evil? She was the only person in the class who said people are born inherently evil, bent towards sin. And someone in class turned to her and said, this is why churches should be eliminated. Ideas like this. Like, so just by saying, like, and, and like, for me, like, uh, my, uh, my, my, uh, one of my Old Testament professor, Dr. Currid, used to say, uh, original sin or the innate sinfulness of humanity is the one verifiable <laughs> theological doctrine. Like, I didn't teach my kid to pay, take his pants off and pee all over the living room floor. He did that all on his own. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, and that was the example he used. Like, you know, like, uh, like, I, like, I didn't teach my child to, to grab something and say mine. Like, um, it's, it's the outflow of what's in us. But from the world, saying that people are born sinful, that is evil. Um, that is wrong. And that has to be eliminated. And it's the complete opposite view of, of humanity than what we hold. Well, the two things are like, again, kind of like the, the domestic nature of this. Like you're break, baking little bread cakes and putting them before and you're pouring out a drink offering. So it's kind of like the daily way that you're, um, you know, it's, that's how you perform the household worship of this particular deity. Every day you put out a little cake, you know, stamped with her image, pour out a little offering, of, of wine to her and, you know, and by doing this, you're encouraging her to turn around and pour out blessings upon you. So it's that kind of idea, you know, you pour out, you know, it's Coke, Coke machine religion. You know, like you put your quarter in, <laughs> Coke comes out. Uh, you, you pour out a drink offering to the queen of heaven. She pours rain and blessings upon the earth and gives you a bountiful harvest. So, so you kind of think, the ritual that they're doing in their households 
is symbolic of the kinds of things they want to receive from this queen of heaven. Yes. So, I mean, it's, they're attributing their daily bread to the queen of heaven. They're attributing the blessings that they received in the land to the queen of heaven. Um, and, you know, so we have two fundamentally different views. And Jeremiah's like, all right, how do we know? You know, and he, he, he has that sarcastic saying, okay, you made vows to her, perform them. <laughs> do it. Perform your vows. Fulfill your obligations to the queen of heaven. Let's see where that gets you. <laughs> uh, let's see where you end up. And the sign for you, whose, whose interpretation of the past is right or not, is, is what's going to happen to this Egyptian king. You watch that. See if he dies peacefully or if he dies at the hands of his enemies. And we'll know who's, who's right, whose word is true, yours or God's. Um, yeah, Dave. And they're using, again, it's the way they're using Torah law to justify fulfilling these vows they've made to a pagan deity. Um, and it is... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's, so they're using biblical law to justify fulfilling their vows. And... <laughs> Yeah, so it's, yeah. <laughs> and, but Jeremiah and, and God is saying to them, let's, let's see where this gets you. Um, like, you know, uh, therefore, hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah who dwell in the land of Egypt. Behold, I have sworn by my great name, says the Lord, that my name shall no more be evoked by the mouth of any man of Judah uh, in all the land of Egypt, saying, as the Lord God lives. Behold, I am watching them over them for disaster, not for, get, for good. All the men of Judah who are in the land of Egypt shall be consumed by the sword, by the famine, until there is an end of them. Um, and this shall be the sign to you, declares the Lord, that I will punish you in this place in order that you may know that my words will surely stand against you for harm. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will give Pharaoh, Hophra, king of Egypt, into the hand of his enemies and into the hand of those who seek his life, as I gave Zedekiah, king of Judah, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, who was his enemy and sought his life. So again, he's saying the pattern <laughs> of you sin, judgment falling, your king uh, gets taken by his enemy, um, is going to repeat. And just as we saw Zedekiah taken off, like he, he, he doesn't escape, um, he tries to escape, doesn't escape, gets put before Nebuchadnezzar, sees all his children killed in front of him, uh, and then is blinded and dragged off into captivity. Like, and he's there, God's saying, just as that really happened, let's watch and pay attention what happens to Hopra. Uh, this king, and he's the, the pharaoh um, who was the one who uh, came out of Egypt and, and drew the Babylonians away from Jerusalem for a short time. So he was that pharaoh um, who, that to, to go back to um, what Cynthia said, like he's the one who, from a political realism standpoint, they put their hope in, in this Egyptian ruler to protect them from Nebuchadnezzar, to provide them with peace and security and blessings uh, from an earthly perspective. Uh, like, so they're putting their spiritual hope in uh, the queen of heaven, and they're putting their earthly hope in Pharaoh Hophra, and, and God's saying he, he's going to die at the hand of his enemies. Um, and 
that's what happens. <laughs> His nephew assassinates him. Um, yeah, Jay. <laughs> it didn't turn out so well for the Pharaoh. <laughs> With faith. <laughs> faith in what? And I feel like, well, it's not so hard to understand that we, it's easier for us to tell someone in public, keep the faith, right? Kind of disguise and not told what they're told, right? We sort of just kind of liquidate it. It's easier to get along with everybody, right? And I've seen that that happens in Puerto Rico, so we just get along, right? Go along to get along. And there, like, uh, and this goes back to what Egypt symbolizes. Egypt is the land of idols, like, you know, um, the ten plagues. Each one um, wasn't just bringing the Egyptians down low, but was in a specific assault on a particular Egyptian deity, um, showing, like, okay, this is, you worship the god of the Nile. <laughs> Let's see the god of the Nile stop it from turning into blood. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, yeah, so... And like they've gone to a place where idol worship is the norm, um, and and like what they were doing in Judah, now they can do it openly and boldly here in Egypt, and they are absolutely committed to it. Um, and it's it's sad um, that in a sense here we're at the end, like. For 40 years, Jeremiah has been preaching this message. The fall of Jerusalem comes. God's shown his power. And he, he's telling us afterwards, it's the same problem. Uh, it's the same uh, idolatry that's in people's hearts. Um, I've kind of like, we just started reading as a session uh, this book um, about um, you, you are what you worship. Um, and it's you know combating uh, the modern kind of idols, like, but he's using the biblical, he's a biblical theologian, so he's going to take us through um, uh, all these biblical examples of how people become the things they, they, they worship, become like them. So in their pursuit of these non-gods, um, they are uh, taking on the characteristics um, of, of those non-gods. And as people made in the image of God, it's, it's almost like as if idol worship is making us less human. Um, it's, and it's, it's tragic. And it, 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 to go back to what Ronnie says, I, I really do think like, this is relevant for us. Like, there's so many things that we persistently and stubbornly put our trust in rather than trusting on God and seeing his track record of, of his faithfulness. Um, we have a track record of unfidelity. <laughs> He has a track record of uh, exemplary fidelity, always faithful, um, to, to bring his words to come to pass. Um, so, so Jeremiah's message to the people in Egypt and uh, to us is to put your trust in this God and, and stop devoting that trust in other things earthly, Pharaoh Hophra, or heavenly, <laughs> the, the queen of heaven, but our trust our faithfulness, our fidelity is, is exclusive, which again is something that our current world doesn't like, the exclusivity um, of the Christian message that it's only through Christ that salvation's to be found. Um, for Jeremiah, it's only through Yahweh that hope is to be found. Um, and people reject that uh, exclusive devotion to one God. All right, well, let me pray for us. Gracious God, uh, we, we do pray um, that even in this coming act of worship that we'll, we'll uh, do in the coming hour that um, you would turn our hearts to you, uh, that uh, we would humble ourselves, we would see the limits and end of ourselves uh, and find uh, eternal life in you and in you alone. We'll see how um, 
uh, how um, weak are our own, the works of our own hands, um, our own abilities to, uh, to move things the way we want to move them, um, but uh, help us to look uh, to you, uh, the one who directs all things, uh, even our steps. Uh, we pray that uh, you would uh, help us to walk in your ways, um, uh, help us to trust in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, we confess that we sin and we fail. Uh, we do it daily, um, but we find forgiveness um, through faith and repentance in our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and so we pray that you would help us exercise that faith, help us to uh, be continually uh, putting to death the sin in our mortal bodies, um, and help us to follow uh, the one true God, um, our uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, our triune God. And we ask this in Christ's name by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.